Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome everyone to our March Madness series. For the next five days, we are interviewing everyday runners who set big goals, put in the work, and change their lives by overcoming the impossible. Not only are their stories inspiring, but you are going to learn something from each and every one of them. We can't wait for you to hear this, and we have a big goal this week that we want you to be a part of. We've set the goal of being the number one streamed running podcast in the world this week. So please share these episodes with your friends, family, coworkers, whoever it may be, so we can celebrate together the growth of this beautiful running community. So friends, let's jump in. time for part one. This is a story we know you will love. We've been saving it for all of you. Jeffrey Binney is a comedian, ultra runner, and content creator who has a beautiful documentary on Amazon Prime called Once is Enough. Yes, Jeffrey is someone in the running community that you just have to know. He stands mm. for love and acceptance and running for the true reasons that we should all be out there, which is to be healthy and happy. But I was so bummed when listening back to this episode because for some reason the mic wasn't working that day and if you listen really closely you can hear a saw in the background because we were having our house worked on as you're all very familiar with Um, but as jeffrey said in the interview it's not about the quality it's about the content so he says it a whole lot better than i do but please bear with us Uh, we promise the rest of these episodes in this series are going to sound way better Um, but we loved talking to jeffrey that's okay honey you win some you did some I do like some good dim sum. That's a topic for another day. (laughs) Well, hey, let's jump right in. In this episode, you're going to learn all about training for an ultra, but more importantly, training for something that scares you. Here's Jeffrey. All right. I'm here now with Jeffrey Binney, the legendary. Well, I'm actually not here with him. We're in two separate states. Jeffrey, you're in, in Utah, right? I'm in Utah, but did you just say legendary? Legendary. 
Come on, you've earned the title legendary. You've earned it. Uh, well, that's very generous. Yeah, I'm in Salt Lake City. <laughs> well, if any if anyone out there has not heard of you, today they will hear of you on the Marathon Training for Beginners podcast, hosted by the Crummy Marathoners. My other half is not here with me. Uh, my wife, Mo, she is taking care of the kids while we're in the middle of a, a home renovation. So um, that shouldn't be new to our listeners because it's been an ongoing thing, which is part of the reason why our podcast has been so sporadic. But Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. So stoked to be here. Well, I found out about you on the Marathon uh, Training Academy podcast. I know they interviewed you a while back. And then I, from that, I checked out your documentary and I was like, we have to get this guy on the podcast. So <laughs> can, can you tell us a little bit about you, where you grew up, how you got started and tell us a little bit about this awesome Amazon Prime documentary that you made? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Missouri on a pig farm, uh, <clears throat> super, uh, super unathletic, uh, pretty stereotypical, uh, like indoor kid. <laughs> and I, uh, I, I, I played, I was forced to play some sports. I was forced to play basketball. Um, but I had the, oh, just the worst attitude. Uh, I remember one time my coach pulled me out of the game. Because I like I wouldn't even run up and down the court. I was just like kind of <laughs> sauntering, and he was like, "Jeffrey, I, I'm taking you out. I will put you back in the game when you tell me that you want to play basketball." And I didn't ever tell him, so he didn't ever put me back in the game. <laughs> so so, you you enjoyed the title bench warmer more than uh, like yeah. The- oh, I embraced it thoroughly. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, that that was the um, the the world I grew up in. Um, uh, my my mom was an amazing cook, uh, but it was never, never particularly healthy. <laughs> uh, but she she kept us well fed. I I'm what we call in Missouri a, a good eater, <laughs> and <laughs> I just I spent my whole life uh, chubby and overweight, uh, along with with both my parents, and uh, made it to adulthood. Um, I um, I was an actor in theater and doing stand up in New York and. My mom had been diagnosed with heart disease when I was um, 11 and oh, wow. they had originally uh, just, you know, kind of given her a, a few years uh, expected. Um, and so of course I didn't realize this when I was a little kid. I mean, she was uh, just a lovely, generous, um, kind uh, person. That was just her personality to begin with. But I didn't realize until I was older um, that, you know, she basically put 99% of herself into me because I think she was, you know, terrified that at any moment she was going to be gone and, you know, oh, okay. when you leave a kid with my dad, which bless his heart, <laughs> has no business raising a child alone. <clears throat> um so we were just insanely close and she was insanely supportive. You know, I mean, on a, a farm boy's path forward is, is typically fairly predestined. I mean, you, why wouldn't you uh, have a, a successful functioning farm handed to you? Um, you know, that's the, the path that most take. But they had uh, no problems with me uh, gallivanting off to New York to, you know, sing and prance about on stage. Um, so, you know, really lucky that they were so, so supportive in that. But uh, I think I was about 30 and uh, her health started to, to decline. And I was, you know, 30 years old, six foot two, 340 pounds. And I mean, there was really not a question about why, 
she was dealing with heart failure and heart disease. I mean, she was overweight and she had been overweight her whole life. And she had made her best effort to, you know, get her, her health in check and make life changes. But it just, she just, it just didn't work. It just wasn't enough. And she also, you know, I, I kind of take for granted the fact that, you know, I had nutrition class in middle school, but they did yeah. Her generation, at least in rural Missouri, did not. And she tried to get up to speed, but, you know, she just, like, couldn't figure out why deep, like, breading and deep frying vegetables, like, wasn't still healthy and <laughs> things like that. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, at the end of her life, she she had a, an operation that didn't, it wasn't successful um, and ended up spending the last three months of her life in a hospital ICU. Um, oh, I'm sorry to hear yeah, well, you know, it wasn't ideal, but also we had her 17 years when we were expecting three, you know, after her diagnosis. So, you know, big picture. Um, very grateful. Let me stop you real quick because because I'm just curious when when you went off to New York, was it hard to leave her knowing her fragile health condition, or were you like, man, she was only supposed to make it a few years, but she's gone on this long, she's fine forever. I mean, was that a hard decision to make? Uh, it. Yes. Uh, it wasn't a hard decision to make because I knew that, I mean, she would have been furious if I didn't like follow my dream because of, of her in some capacity. So I guess it wasn't so much that it was a hard decision to make, but I like definitely lived in a state of like low level panic. I mean, there wasn't a time that my sister or dad would call me that I my heart wouldn't drop because so often when I got those calls, um, you know, with heart failure, um, you know, at the end of the day, heart failure is fluid collecting in your chest and it fills up your lungs and you're not able to breathe. You're not able to get air anymore and you, you essentially suffocate. Oh, okay. yeah. So for, for heart failure, people who are suffering from heart failure, there are often times when you are collecting too much fluid and you have to go to the hospital to like, you know, it has to be, it, it's not, it's not, Dire, but you do have to be hospitalized so that they can use a diuretic to, you know, get the fluid out of your lungs and everything. And so it was a f semi regular occurrence for her to be hospitalized. And it was never, you know, it was never like, well, this is it, but it was always, this could be it. <laughs> like there was going to be a last time. Um, so yeah, I mean, I lived in like a pretty constant state of fear every time I, I got a call. I'm like my sister, even still, um, I mean, we, we laugh about it, but we know that it comes from a place of, of trauma. But if she calls me and I can't answer, I immediately text her, is everything okay? I, and I do yeah, it before yeah. I even think about it. Like what could be wrong? I mean, of course, anything could be wrong. Sure. But I was just like, I, I was just always, yeah, pretty, pretty scared that I was going to get the call and not be able to get back to Missouri, you know, to yeah. say goodbye. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm sorry to, sorry to hear about all that. It, it, it takes me back to um, when, when my mom passed away. Yeah, you've gone through a similar situation. How was that for you? Were you near home? So I wasn't expecting it. It, it was unexpected. It was an accident, unfortunately. But um, I just remember the call from my aunt. I was in a concert and uh, watching one of my favorite bands from, from high school. They were doing like a reunion tour. And I was literally one song in and my aunt calls me and I'm like, that's weird. She never calls me. So this is my mom's sister. Then she calls me again. And I'm like, okay, she really never calls me twice. Something is wrong. Mm -hmm. And it was actually on my, my birthday too. So I thought, okay, maybe she's just wishing me a happy birthday, but still she's never done that before. N nothing against my aunt because, um, you know, she's amazing, but, uh, we just kind of weren't on that level to be calling each other for each other's birthdays. And so long story short, uh, yeah, it was that kind of 
this weird gut wrenching feeling like, you know, something's wrong. Um, and, and unfortunately she, she gave me the news, but, uh, so I, I, I sympathize with you there. I, I definitely know the feeling, but for you, I mean, it was kind of a, a long process that, that dragged out for you. Yeah, it was. And I mean, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, you know, lucky to have the extra time. And obviously that that's what I would choose hands down. But yeah, I mean, in, you know, in some ways it was, you know, maybe a little more, a little more long and drawn out and, you know, painful in some ways, um, just because, um, you know, we never knew, <laughs> we just never yeah, knew, yeah. we never knew it could happen at any time. Sure. But also grateful to have like had the diagnosis and appreciate that time. Um, the ability to, I think that's probably the thing I'm most grateful for is, um, like, you know, having the the time to make sure that like, I didn't have any regrets, like, right. <laughs> you know, like make sure she knew I loved her and all that stuff. Well, I, and I think that's a lesson and this is totally deviating from, from marathon training, but I think it all comes. <laughs> <to work>. Yeah. <laughs> but, I think it's so important for everybody, like the, the people who you love in your lives, it, it can happen at any time. So make sure that, you know, you're, you're always prepared and, and don't have any regrets. And I, I think you're the type of person, what I know about you is, is you live life on the edge and you have no regrets. And I try to live the same way, but, um, I, you know, that's something that's so fascinating about your story. So, so you're, you're kind of making these hospital trips and you're going to see your mom and uh, she's she's kind of there consistently for that that three month span. So so tell us about that and, and kind of how this whole running journey got started. Yeah, well, I you know at that at that point things were so you know it was uh, so severe that I wasn't uh, well. Luckily, I was able to not go back to <clears throat> New York. I was able to stay in Missouri for that that time. Um, and you know we we lived in a rural area, so the hospital was in Kansas City, two hours away. So we were. You know, lucky my dad was able to, to, to keep a hotel room for us but I couldn't I just couldn't bring myself to like and it's not like I could sleep in her room but I just couldn't stomach the idea of her like <laughs> laying in the ICU while we were across the the street in our yeah. um, you know embassy suites <laughs> so yeah. I yeah. slept in the waiting room most nights um, or I would just stay up in the waiting room and then go sleep at the hotel during the day um, sure. <clears throat> and I had kind of discovered cycling not kind of I had discovered cycling in New York I really liked cycling um, just you know as a commuter uh, and I think that was definitely the first um, I had also decided to go uh, vegetarian. And so oh. I had made some small choices in the year or so before that. But while I was in the waiting room, I talk about it in the film, but they, I kept reading these uh, trail runner magazines. They had a subscription in the waiting room at the hospital. <clears throat> and I, I just kept reading them and reading them. And I was like, man, this sounds, this actually sounds pretty cool. Like nobody can watch my fat jiggle when I'm in the middle of the woods. Nobody's timing me. This actually sounds uh, okay. <clears throat> and then we had a day in the hospital where um, we just, you know, just one of those crappy hospital days where we just got some, you know, some pretty bad news that like, it wasn't that it was over, but basically, you know, they were, running out of options. Um, sure. And I just like in a tirade 
went to a running store. I walked into the hospital, went to a running store, got a pair of shoes and drove out to a state park. The first thing that came up on Google maps. And I just went for a run and it was looking back. It was so stupid. I bought like, it had just rained and it was muddy in Missouri. And I had, (laughs) I purchased those Vibram five finger toe shoes. You know those? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love them, but they are, they couldn't possibly be less appropriate for running (laughs) on muddy trails in Missouri. I was like falling all over the place. I was a mess, but I didn't care. Like I loved it. I was immediately hooked. Not only the like therapy that it provided, I just was in a much better mental space afterward, but I was dirty. I was tired. I felt like I had done something constructive and it felt like, I felt like a little kid, like jumping over logs and like, I don't know. I just, it, it, it took 10 seconds for me to be absolutely hooked. And it just kind of kept spiraling from there. She unfortunately passed away a couple weeks later. Um, and uh, I had started training from a 20 mile trail run in Missouri. Um, and I, I ended up doing that a couple of months later. And that was my first, uh, that was my first organized run. Sure. And you talk about in the documentary, how uh, she was kind of, or, or, ultra training was kind of your therapy. Is that why you think you, you did it and you started, or were you just like in this headspace where you weren't thinking straight because of everything? And so you saw the magazine and you went and bought the shoes and kind of did it on a whim. Like what was the motivating factor there that got you into running? It was like just a deep, deep desperation to change my health. Because I was, I, I was straight on the path to follow in her footsteps. And uh, it started as just a desperate attempt to get healthy. Um, and you, you, don't, <laughs> you don't change your health trajectory by going for a, an angry first trail run in toe shoes. But I guess you do, because I guess I ultimately did. But later yeah. it turned into um, wanting to escape. I just didn't, um, I'm not, which you would not guess this from, uh, (laughs) watching the film. I do a lot of ugly crying in the film, but in my regular life with friends, I am, um, uh, I don't really wear my emotions on my sleeve. I keep everything tucked back, uh, pretty tightly. Um, I think like in a healthy way. I mean, it's not like I don't talk about things when I need to, but I just, I don't, benefit as much from talking to people about things as I benefit from um, Jeffrey time. And it turns out that Jeffrey time alone in the woods, getting healthy, not having to deal with other humans (laughs) that might, might not be so healthy, but it just turned into an escape. And all I wanted to do was write and perform jokes, do stand up and run. And I just, I would just disappear. I was just, I would, my friends got so annoyed. I, I was a, I was an actor. I, all my friends were indoor kids. Nobody understood ultra running or even really like backpacking. Why would you want to do that? Uh, yeah. So my friends didn't understand, like they were really worried about me. They're like, why does Jeffrey just keep saying like, Oh, I'll be back on Monday. And then he's gone in the forest and like, is he okay? Um, and I was okay. I was fine. I was like loving it. And I think I just needed that time. I needed to go be my, be by myself, do some thinking. Um, and yeah, it's, I, I, I think I say it in the film, but it was the, without question, the, the best therapy I think I possibly could have found. Yeah. Well, I can understand falling in love with ultra running because you're out in the woods and it's beautiful and all of this. 
Um, for me, I fell in love with road racing, which is just odd because you're just on a road and I don't know how I'm so passionate and how so many people are so passionate about running marathons, but it's, it just is there. Um, have you, have you done any road marathon or training or are you strictly ultra? No, I've done, well, nothing, nothing long. I've done, um, some like five, 10 Ks, uh, road races, um, yeah. But no, I've never done, I mean, I've done lots of marathons on the trail, um, but not, not many road races. And I don't know, I think for me, what really attracts me is the sense of, of adventure because I'm I'm never going to be fast. I'm never going to be, I shouldn't say never, who knows, (laughs) but no no time soon. Am I going to be fast? And that's not what I'm worried about. I am more, uh, I get more enjoyment from like the adventure aspects. And so I think that's why I'm drawn more to, um, to trail running. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, I don't know the times that I do run. I mean, I run on the roads all the time. I just don't do a lot of organized road races. Right. Um, That makes sense. But I, you know, one thing I love about road running is um, that I really have the opportunity to, I, I don't know, if, I, 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 I'm sure you've experienced this to some degree. I find like road running like a, a little bit meditative in a way. Like I am, find myself uh, really easily zoning out in a good way while road yes. running. And on the trails, that's not always as easy because it's often up, down, you're jumping over things. And so it's a little harder to... Uh, kind of get to that that point, but yeah. when I'm running on the roads or you know on a on a, a city <clears throat> trail, um, I love that I'm able to just um, kind of tune out and I you know yeah. I find myself done with my run and I don't even I don't really even remember the run I don't really know yeah. I yeah. guess I yeah. didn't like run out in traffic but I don't really remember because I was thinking about something else. I I totally agree with that. Um, my my concern with trail racing or trail running is. Um, the, the, the wildlife. I know I sound like a wimp when I say that, but yeah. being here in Arizona, you know, there's rattlesnakes and who yeah. knows what else. So does, is that ever a concern for you? Yeah. And I think that's, I think, I, I think that kind of just, uh, I think that's a great example of how, you know, just different people are suited for different things because yes, uh, all of that. And that's why I love it. <laughs> I love, <laughs> I love that. Like, I am terrified of snakes. Um, I, 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 I like them from afar. I understand they're great for the ecosystem. Like uh, on, uh, on paper, I adore snakes, but in my presence within 10 feet of me, not a big fan, but some, that's like that. Um, I, I love that. I love like being a little nervous that I'm going to like have to jump over a snake. Um, I love the, it's like controlled, controlled risk for me. Same with like the wildlife. Um, you know, I moved to to Utah and we have moose here, which uh, are often fine, but the, the male moose can be, they can be real a-holes. And, um, and so I was terrified to go into places where I knew there would be moose, but then I just spent a little while online. I was like, okay, well, here are the actual facts. Here's how often things actually happen. Um, I could rationalize, Hey, this is a controlled risk. Um, There's actually very little risk. So let's go. Maybe you'll see a moose and have a good story to tell. And I think that's the same with everything, you know, uh, trail running, ultra running. I I like to do a lot of backpacking too. You know, like I have a Garmin in reach. So it's like a, a two way satellite 
beacon. So I can text oh, from wow. literally anywhere on the planet that, uh, you know, I'm, as long as I'm not in a cave, as long as I have a view of the sky. Yeah. And that amazing. provides me so much comfort. It feels <clears throat> so much more comfortable to the Uintas here in Utah, one of the most remote areas uh, in, in Northern America uh, or in the U.S. And uh, I would otherwise be absolutely terrified, but I can literally, I mean, it's not like someone can come save me in 10 minutes, but just to have that safety line, I love that controlled, that controlled risk. So I guess the short answer is yes, I'm scared of those things, but I kind (laughs) of like it. (laughs) I didn't know that that watch existed. So you're saying you can text someone from anywhere. Like do you just voice text through your watch or how does that work? No. So it's actually not a watch. It's a separate little, um, it looks, it kind of looks like a pager. If you remember, I don't know if you're old enough to remember pagers, but it's about that size. It just has a little carabiner on it. Um, and it, uh, it connects to your phone through Bluetooth. You can text directly from the little device, but it's very small and it only has like four buttons. So it's, pretty labor intensive to text uh from the device but you can just simply go into their app and send a text message from from your phone and and text you back yeah 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 that's so cool yeah peace of mind so if you do get stranded um you can at least send your coordinates or oh yeah i mean well i so i have it set up so every time i go for a run that i take it with me um i and i'm not sponsored by them it sounds like i'm plugging them really hard uh i (laughs) I, I'm not sponsored by them, but I I take it with me on runs that I know I'm going in more remote places. And whenever I uh, just like start the tracking, it automatically sends a text to my sister and my cousin and says, hey, I'm starting an activity. And they can click on the link in that text message and see my real time location. Uh, yeah. And then once I'm done, it sends them another message to say, hey, I'm done. Um so yeah, it's got a lot of different features like that. You can also yeah. do uh, like weather. It's that's been a huge one for me up in the Uintas. That weather tends to be fairly unpredictable, and you can request a weather report for your precise GPS locations. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's really if you're going out in the middle of nowhere alone, I highly recommend it. I honestly got it more for my sister than for me because. Um, she was just always terrified. One time I had a pretty rough long run and I got back to my Jeep and I was in the middle of nowhere in California, but I had cell phone reception and I called her and I was like, Hey, I just want you to stay on the phone with me. I just finished my run and I think I'm going to pass out. And she was like, what do you mean? And I passed out. Oh man. <laughs> and She was terrified. She was like, do I need to call 911? Like, and I was fine. Like, you know, 15 yeah. seconds later but that was she was kind of like you you're either just going to not tell me when you're doing that stuff or you got (laughs) to figure something out so that uh we've got a little bit more um control over the situation yes okay fair enough well it's it's a whole different world that i i've really never explored so it's really fun and exciting to to talk to you about all of that so i want to jump back real quick we you were in new york and you were living there and after your mom had passed uh how long after that did you make the move out to Utah? Yeah, so I actually just moved to Utah. Um, my After my mom passed away, I spent a little bit of time in Missouri, and then I went back to New York. And I had been thinking about moving to Los Angeles uh, anyway. Um, but this just seemed like a good bookmark, a good time to make uh, make a move. You know, I had disappeared from New York for you know, six or seven months and nothing kills a career in theater and comedy in New York, like disappearing for seven months. Everyone forgets who you are. And I also was wanting to do more film and television and thinking about moving to LA. And so I just decided to pull the trigger. So I actually moved to LA 
And gotcha. I was in LA for a couple of years. And that's where I had the the idea. I was was wanting to do more film and television, but I was kind of, you know, I was getting tired of constantly auditioning for other people's projects, constantly auditioning, saying, you know, oh, please let me be a part of your project. Right. And I finally was like, why don't I, why am I not creating my own project? Like, why am I not doing my own work? Why don't I create my own work? Um, and so that was, you know, one of the many uh, reasons I decided to foolishly make an indie film. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love it. I think it's a fantastic film. And I think everyone listening should go check it out. It, it, what's the best place to watch that, by the way, while we're talking about it? Yeah, probably Amazon. Um, I think most people have Amazon Prime, so it's available yeah. on Amazon. It's also Google Play, but you know, a, a bunch of different platforms as well. So okay. um, you know, ch- check whatever platform you have subscriptions for. It's probably there, but uh, Amazon's probably the best place. Perfect. And and can you um, can you share a little bit about the documentary? I, I know we've talked about your upbringing and it and it goes through all of that, but kind of the title and, and what that all means. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, I I mentioned the reason I started running was just deep desperation to not wind up in the same situation as her. And I, after that 20 miler, I had this idea to run a 100 miler. I'd read about it. I'd done a lot of research online. I knew it was a pretty crazy idea, but I had this, I of course didn't mention it to anybody <laughs> because <laughs> the Lord only knows the eye rolls I would have gotten. Yeah, but in sure. Jeffrey's mind, that was kind of, uh, you know, it was always in the back of my mind. Is that something I could do? I'd love to do that someday. So I got to LA and I, I, I had this idea. Um, one of my friends, uh, I was saying, you know, gosh, I really just want to write stand up and go in the mountains and disappear and, she was like, well, what if there's like, can you turn that into something creative, a creative project? And so that's really what sparked the idea for the film. Um, and so I set my sights on a 50 miler. I was like, if I can do a 50 miler, then I am going to dive into training for and running a 100 mile ultra marathon. And then I'll write my first hour show of stand up about the whole experience We'll document the training and running. We'll film the stand-up set, and then we'll juxtapose them together into some sort of documentary comedy mashup. And, and yeah. so that's 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 really what Once Is Enough is. It's me training for and running my first 100 mile ultra uh, uh, with interspersed with uh, you know mediocre mediocre poop jokes about the whole experience. <laughs> that's Once Is Enough, and the. Yeah. The title, um, I had heard this quote long ago. It has been a favorite quote of mine for a long time, but um, it, it crossed my my desk while I was working on the film, and I instantly was like, ah, that's the title. Um, the title of the film is, is Once is Enough, um, but it comes from a quote by Mae West. Um, she said, you only live once, but if you do it right, once is enough. And I was just instantly obsessed. I was like, it's perfect. Once is enough about this dude running a hundred milers. He is obviously running a hundred miles. Once is enough. Oh wait, no, (laughs) that's not what it's about. Um, It's actually about, you know, taking life by the horns, doing that crazy thing that you want to do um, and getting it done. Yeah. Well, and when my wife was watching it with me, that last line, because she she had not heard the episode with um, with Marathon Training Academy. And so 
she didn't know that part of it, you know, but I kind of already had the preview and, and it hit her like a ton of bricks at the end. She's like, Oh, and it just, you know, I could tell she was just really um, getting emotional about it. And, and so um, oh. for anyone listening right now, you know, uh, it's not ruined. We haven't spoiled the show. I mean, still, like you said, lots of uh, poop jokes in there. And, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> really, jokes. Lots, yeah, only a couple, like maybe one or two. So, um, but yeah, no, the rest of it's fantastic. The comedy is there. Uh, every, everything is, it checks all the boxes. It's, it's really, it's really uh, very well done. And, and I was really impressed. Well, thank you. It was quite, um, uh, you know, I think, you know, everyone's like, wow, a hundred miles and everyone wants to talk about running a hundred mile ultra marathon. Uh, quite frankly, I think the filmmaking process was the more difficult <laughs> marathon, uh, of the project, but, but we, we got it done. It's not, you know, it's not high end, uh, slick polished production, but there's a saying in, in, in the entertainment industry, um, that story trumps all, you know, it doesn't matter Absolutely. if your shot wasn't perfect. Maybe you, the audio wasn't perfect, but if you have a compelling story to tell that stuff doesn't, well, it matters, but it doesn't, it, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. Big picture. So when you were out on the runs, then did you take like a GoPro? Was there something a little bit more legit than that that you took out? Yeah. Um, so no, on my, like the, the training stuff, most of the training stuff uh, I shot myself either with my cell phone or a GoPro. And that's one of the amazing things about, you know, documentary is that mixed media like that is more acceptable. Um, you know, you, I mean, not that you, I mean, you can, you can capture amazing cinematic footage on an iPhone now, but just a random dude yeah. who half knows what he's doing in the middle of the woods, like probably can't. Um, but that's, yeah. you know, luckily that's acceptable in documentary. You know, that on the fly footage is sometimes going to be a little wild, <clears throat> but then for yeah. the runs, for the races, for the interview footage, that kind of stuff. Um, we had a small crew um, sure, that, sure. That, that went with us for that. So the, all that was a little more legitimate. But, you know, how how amazing that it's 2020 and, um, you know, like we have little gimbals, which are camera stabilizers that now anyone can get for five or $600, which sounds like an insane amount of money. 15, 20 years ago to get half of the shots in the film, we would have had to have had a, a crew of 20 people. We would have had to have hauled like camera tracks up the mountain. So, I mean, the, the advances in camera technology are, are just insane. I mean, even just your cell phone to be able to capture what you can capture on your iPhone 20 years ago would have cost you $500,000. <laughs> wow. So it's just, yeah bonkers how much that landscape is changing and how much more accessible it is. I never could have made this film 20 years ago. There's no way I would have had to have major funding. There's just, there's no way that I could have just, just bootstrapped this film myself. So I'm very grateful uh, to be alive <laughs> in the entertainment industry in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it adds to the charm of the show. I think if, if you had a, a $500,000 uh, crew and and uh, multi million dollar budget for this film, it probably wouldn't um, be as authentic. And and so um, so it's called Once Is Enough. Everyone go check it out. But now but I, now I want to talk about uh, your actual experience running and what you can share from that. So um, you just decided you're going to do this hundred miler. And so so how does one train for that? Because a lot of our listeners are are training for their first half marathon or their first full, but d doing a hundred miler is a whole different ball game. First of all, the time commitment, I would imagine is a lot more. Um, and then the equipment and the fueling, and then you have to have a crew. Uh, how do you train for something that big? 
Yeah, it's a it's a huge undertaking. And, you know, I was a single childless dude doing it and I really struggled. I mean, I was, you know, running 20 plus uh, hours per week. And I don't know how parents or people who own their own businesses or people who have spouses, <laughs> I don't know how they do it. So <clears throat> quite frankly, it's not nearly as impressive for me to do it as it is for someone who's you know married and has children. But it is a huge, I mean, it's a huge time commitment. Um, <clears throat> that's, you know, that's the, I guess the first, the first thing, but it's not quite as, um, you know, maybe I shouldn't be telling people this, but it's not quite as difficult and crazy as it seems. It is very difficult. <clears throat> it is a little bit crazy. But, you know, I mean, the first thing is uh, I had this huge epiphany when I found out that most ultra runners are hiking a, a large portion of a hundred miler. I was like, wait, what? And, and that's like that suddenly made it way more uh, digestible to me. <clears throat> um uh, I, I think starting small, obviously, um, that's one thing I kind of, um, I guess not regret, but I wish that the film showed more of my training. The film kind of makes it look like I just kind of went from couch to hundred miler in a few months. And that's <laughs> certainly <laughs> not the case. Um, well, that's, that's where this podcast comes into play because you can get into the nitty gritty. <laughs> yeah, well, good, good, good. I mean, I started with that 20 miler and, you know, for me, it was just all about like continually like increasing my distance, even if it's just a quarter or half a mile at a time. And it just keeps getting easier, but you just have to stay consistent. Um, that's what I found. Um, and it turned out that, you know, if I could run 20 miles this weekend, I could probably push another mile out the next weekend. And suddenly in six months, I was like, you know, at 30 mile long runs or marathon distance long runs. Um, yeah. And at, in the beginning, I couldn't even run a quarter mile without stopping. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wasn't coming from a place of fitness in any capacity. I mean, not only was I not coming from, you know, former athleticism, I was also wildly overweight. So I think just to start to start small and know that it's nobody who tries to run a hundred miler can do it immediately. I mean, it's such a long, slow buildup and, and, and slow burn. I was going to say, I saw the, I saw the picture of you kind of before and then after you, you definitely lost some weight. Was that intentional? Like, okay, if I'm going to do this, it's going to be easier if I lose weight or just naturally from running and, and putting all those miles in, did you just lose the weight? I just lost the weight from all that running. It's it's um, it's difficult once you're um, you know at training capacity for a for an ultra. It's difficult to keep the weight on. Um, I uh, I was a little disappointed in the beginning because I just assumed that when I started running. Um, I was just going to start losing weight, but it turns out like when you're running more, you're more hungry, you're more likely to feel like you deserve cheat meals. And I really wasn't losing weight until I got to the point where I was running, you know, 30 ish miles a week. And that's when, then the weight just like, just, just kept dropping off. Um, sure. I mean, when I, when I ran the hundred miler, I did the math afterwards, and I think it was like thirty-two thousand calories I burned <laughs> wow. uh, during the hundred miler, which is what I don't know—like two weeks of calories for me yeah. anymore. Um, so it's just hard to keep the weight on uh, past that point. Um, 
but no, that wasn't, I mean, it was an, I mean, I knew that I was hopefully going to lose some weight, but I was pretty discouraged in the beginning when I wasn't. And so that kind of dropped off as a a goal. But at the same time, I knew I had to lose some weight because if you're doing these runs in the, in the mountains, like you just, there's cutoff times. And that's, you know, the times that I haven't been successful is because I just wasn't moving fast enough. Um, I was, I still felt great. I was still wanting to continue, but they have cutoff times for good reasons. Um, and if you're not moving fast enough, you get, you get pulled from the race. And so I did have, you know, that in the back of my head, I knew there was no way in the mountains that I could, you know, beat those cutoffs. Um, if I was you know still carrying an extra hundred pounds around. Yeah. Well, so in the, in the documentary you talk about this, so I don't want to blow it, but, um, you did the Leadville 100, which I gotta be honest, I, I, I have, I had no idea what that was being a new runner myself. So apparently it's a pretty prestigious ultra marathon. Um, I, we can talk a little bit about that, but what I wanted to touch on is, um, is the cutoff times. And, and so you were really rubbing up against those cutoff times. Was that intentional as a strategy to really conserve energy and be able to have the longevity to finish or was that literally all your body was giving you? <laughs> Definitely not purposeful. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was all, it was all that I could, it was all my body would give me. And that's, yeah, we don't want to ruin the film, but yeah, things, things in the film didn't always go as planned. And, um, sure. that's, uh, that's something that bigger runners, uh, are always, terrified of um because you, know, you can only move so fast i mean you know uh, 20 30 miles for me uh, especially in the mountain you know in in any sort of like terrain that's not a track uh right. i mean you know i'm lucky to average like 12 13 14 minute miles and sure. that's that's not fast <laughs> and right. you know, a lot of the, the time cutoffs are assuming a like 15 16 17 minute mile so you know you have a, a, a huge climb up a up, up over a, a mountain pass um and obviously someone my size can't run that very few people would run it um and so you you just you that that was that was my uh, that has been my demise is is long climbs where i just can't muster more than you know 30 minute miles on a steep ascent and it pushes me past the cutoff you know the an ultra marathon is is about uh survival (laughs) it's about getting to the finish line and i think that's what um one of many things that attracted me most to it is that it's not about running fast always it's not about you know um uh, beating anyone of course there are like definitely there are professional ultra runners who that is their goal but the majority of people in an ultra marathon are uh you know walking a lot of the the race they are are they have to it's an eating competition i can't remember what the saying is but essentially the saying is that ultra running is not a running contest it's an eating contest because it is i mean you you have to you have to uh fuel yourself you you know when you get to the 20 25 mile point most people have exhausted any glucose reserves that they have in their body. And at that point, you can only use energy that you are feeding into your body. The problem is when your body's under this amount of stress, um, and this sounds very dramatic, but it's a normal 
part of the human body and it's not <clears throat> not as dramatic as it sounds but when your body's under this amount of stress your body starts diverting resources to like more critical body functions and digestion is not one of those and so if you don't keep eating so that your digestive system quote unquote stays awake uh it will start to shut down and then when you eat you just vomit everything up that's probably wow. the most common demise of ultra runners is that they they don't eat consistently enough and they then can't eat anymore. And if you can't eat wow. anymore, you can't run anymore. Like you, you literally don't have the energy. And that was a really novel uh, experience for me to be like truly hungry. <laughs> you know, I was a yeah. chubby, a well-fed <laughs> chubby farm boy. And I didn't know what it felt to like really be hungry. I knew what it felt like to be like in the mood for a box of Cheez-Its, but I didn't know what it meant like for my body to literally not have any more fuel left um and blood sugar that like blew my mind i kept getting to these points in runs where i would get so like down and i'd be like i just need to quit like this is what am i why am i even out here like this is so stupid i'd start like replaying like imaginary like what i should have said in imaginary arguments or to so-and-so at work and i just get in this like weird angry headspace and then i'd like get to my car for like a, a quick little pit stop i'd you know have some food and set back out and suddenly i was on top of the world ready to run another 30 miles and i like eventually realized i was like wow like my blood sugar has a huge effect on my brain on my mood yeah. which i you know i mean i guess wasn't a you, know, you read anything about it and it will you know any anyone who knows what they're talking about will tell you that that's the case but to feel it is a totally different experience because in the moment you definitely don't think oh i'm i'm feeling saucy because i don't have enough glucose <laughs> in my brain <laughs> well it's 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 true because my wife's hypoglycemic and uh her mom and i actually joke a lot about how um, when she's in a certain mood, we need to give her a Snickers bar. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, perfect example. I mean, you know, being being hangry, like it's there's actually some science and truth behind that. Oh, 100 percent. And we know it's not. And, and Mo's going to kill me for bringing this up. But hey, <laughs> it's her podcast, too. So she can cut it out if she really wants to. How but, did she um, get the short end of the stick today? How did she get stuck <laughs> with the, the kids on a construction site? <laughs> yeah. And, and we're talking smack about her. No, it, everyone who listens to this knows I love her dearly. But um, it, it's like you said, it's not you. It's, it's, it's the blood, it's the blood sugar. It's, yeah. you know, a condition. And so, um, I think, yeah, like you said, the fueling has got to be huge, but what I can't wrap my head around is, is the staying awake part. So, you know, I, I wake up pretty early to do my runs and then I work all day and then I put the kids down and then by, you know, eight and nine o'clock at night, I'm super tired, but I can't imagine now, you know, you're doing these hundred miles. What's the, can you remind me what the time cutoff is for a hundred miler? Yeah. It depends on the race. It's usually around 30 or 32 hours. Yeah. So, and I guess some, I guess it's part of the strategy, but some ultra marathoners will, uh, take naps. Right. But yeah, yeah, the faster runners, um, uh, you know, they're not worried about the time cutoffs. So they, you know, they might, they might take a quick, quick nap. Yeah. That's, that's definitely something that happens. I don't have that luxury. I, uh, (laughs) not even a little bit, (laughs) I barely have time to, to stop at the aid station. And have yeah. a drink and some food. But yeah, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people do that. Wow. Okay. Well, so I want to talk a little bit about the training and, and talk about injuries because I know for a lot of runners, especially in the beginning stages, this is a big 
part of it. It's the demise of a lot of runners. I, I saw a poll the other day that someone put on Facebook kind of asking, you know, what's the hardest part of running? And some people said the motivation to go out and other people had other kind of answers there. But the one that I most related to, and I think a lot of people was maybe second or third on the poll was um, avoiding injury or recovering from injury. Yeah. And so now I'm thinking about, okay, that training for a marathon, you know, I'm only putting in 30, 40, 50 miles a week, but training for a ultra, first of all, how many miles do you need to put in a week? Uh, like what's your long run get up to? And then how do you avoid injury through all of that? Yeah. Well, that was another thing that was surprising to me. You know, when you, um, well, I don't know. I'll ask you, uh, before I ran my first hundred miler, if you had to guess, what do you think was the longest run, um, like training run that I had ever done? Uh, you know, I can't remember if you talked about this in the documentary, but I, I thought maybe somewhere around like a 50 miler. Yeah. So I, I did do a 50 miler, um, like an organized race. That one that I mentioned when I was kind of trying to decide, like, am I crazy enough to try a hundred or not? But in my actual training plan, the most, uh, the longest run that I ever did was I think maybe 32 or 33 miles. Um, and, and, and it's because of this, because once you, once you surpass, well, it's different for everyone, of course, but for me, once I surpassed the 25, 30 mile mark, the amount of time it takes me to recover is not worth the, the, the benefit of those, those extra miles. Um, what's much more yes. beneficial is to do 32 miles on Saturday. Um, and, uh, the, the, back to back long run is, is really the kind of the, the core of most ultra running training programs. I need to give okay. the disclaimer that I'm not a trainer. Uh, yeah, my yeah, advice yeah. <laughs> should not be, uh, uh you should talk to somebody who is, is a, is a, a trained professional. Um, sure. but, uh, that's, that's the important run is the the second long run of the weekend. Um, so if I could do 30 miles on Saturday and then on Sunday, get out and do another 15 miles, those 15 miles are, um, like life altering <laughs> because yeah. it's, uh, the first, the first times that I did them, it's, so difficult, so difficult to talk yourself into getting out the door and going for 15 mile run after you just ran 25 miles the day before you're sore, you hurt, you're tired, but turns out you get a few miles in and things stop hurting. You get warmed up. It turns out you're not stiff anymore and it's actually a little easier than you thought. And then you have finished 15 miles and you realize, oh, well, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. That pain was temporary. And I think that's one of the most important lessons for, for ultra runners when they're first getting started. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a, a very imprecise uh, art, but the art of being able to evaluate your body while you're on a run and determine whether a certain pain or discomfort is temporary or permanent, um, that's a really important skill because it turns out most of the most of the times that I thought I might be injured or might be you know in too much pain and need to stop, it most of those things work themselves out in a few miles if I just kept going. The thing is, like most people don't keep going. Why would you? Like something hurts, <laughs> you're not having fun. Why wouldn't you yeah. stop? 
Um, well, you know, when you're training for an ultra marathon, those are, those are going to happen. Like in a hundred miler, you are going to hurt. Something's going to go wrong. You are going to be in pain. You are going to be very tired. You are going to be very hungry. You are going to be dehydrated. (laughs) So like if those things are like deal breakers for you, ultra running isn't for you. But if you can take some joy or find some sort of sick pleasure in being able to, to a certain extent, control those, those, those discomforts, there is a huge reward at the end. It is worth it in the end. Um, I think very, very few people at mile 70 of a hundred miler would say, I'm having a blast. This is so much fun. I feel great. I just want to keep running forever. <laughs> but once they finished, <clears throat> when you ask them the next morning, I bet they'll they'll have a, a drastically different opinion. So it's it's really tough. But I mean, I think that's it's really important to ultra running is being able to determine, hey, is this something short lived that I just need to keep running through and it's going to be fine, or is this something serious? And I, I I gave that like trainer not not a health professional disclaimer because. I, I, that's something that only you in your body can determine with, you know, the knowledge that you have from your trainer or a health professional. I, I definitely don't want anyone to take away from this. Well, Jeffrey told me whenever something hurts, just to keep running. <laughs> that's oh, not what I'm God. saying. Um, You're not David Goggins. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it turns out that like, it, a lot of people quit too soon. A lot of people quit too soon. I guess that's the takeaway. Um, yeah. uh, any reasonable person would. But if you're just just stupid enough to not quit when any reasonable person would, it turns out some really cool stuff can happen and you can do a lot more than you thought you could. I totally agree with that. And I think if the audience of this podcast were not runners, then they'd be listening to you saying, this guy's crazy. What's he talking about? But Absolutely not bag. <laughs> but because everyone listening to this podcast is is thinking about or is training for a half or a full marathon or maybe even an ultra, I, I think we all to some degree understand that that sick level of discomfort because of the 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 satisfaction and the you know the feeling that you get afterwards of having accomplished something that very few people ever will, um, and just teaching your body that you can do hard things. It's very um, Epicurean, which uh, uh, I don't know if. Um... Epicurus, that, uh, he, he was actually a philosopher, and his uh, philosophy uh, kind of distilled down to its core, as I understand it at least, is uh, the avoidance of pain at all costs. But there's a huge caveat there in that sometimes you need to endure short-term pain in the present to avoid greater long-term pain in the future. And um, I think that that's always kind of been in my mind with ultra running because it's really a trade-off of like, well, this is uncomfortable now. Um, is it worth, is it worth the end goal? Sometimes it is. Usually it is. Sometimes it's not. Well, Jeffrey, I really appreciate you coming on. And before we wrap up, I, I think the last question that I have for you is, you know, what's your message to the world and to the running community and and what advice can you give to new runners? I know that was kind of a loaded question. (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, you know, and it's, it's not exclusive to running. I think just in general, um, if, 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 if there's a, you know, a crazy idea you've had, if there's like that thing that you've always wanted to do, but you weren't sure if you could, or if you had time for it, um, like, like do it. 
right now, like do it. Um, if, if it's, if it's something you want to do, there is no better time than right now, because I say it in the film, like it's such a cliche, but you really, we really do only live once. And, um, I think we have to seize the day. So if, if I could give any advice to, to, to the people listening, it's to just do the thing, just do it, get it started right now. Awesome. I love it. So the documentary once is enough. You can find it almost anywhere, but Amazon is a great place. Uh, Instagram. What's your handle? Uh, at Jeffrey Benny, all, okay. all the socials, J E F F R E Y B I N N E Y. Perfect. TikTok, Instagram, everywhere. I'm everywhere. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We it's really appreciate having me. Such a blast. Yeah, you're awesome. I, I know that everybody listening will get a kick out of this and we'll go check out your documentary. Um, and get a lot of value out of that. So thanks again. Of course. Have a good one. Follow us on Instagram at crummy marathoners. We'd love to hear your feedback and take any questions you might have. Also, don't forget to subscribe. So, you know, when new episodes come out and please leave us a five-star review. So more people can join this friendly journey with us. Our theme song is change the world by Breck. You can find his music on Spotify search his name under B-R-E-K-K.